0: morning good to have you who are here with us in person glad you could be here and uh, for those who are watching live this morning when uh, maybe watching the video later welcome to you as well uh, great to see you this morning I always look forward to being here on Sundays and I, I truly look forward to when uh, the opportunity is available for us to have full ministers again Sunday night services and Wednesday night and uh, I don't know about you but I miss all that so uh, I'm looking forward to it as God makes that opportunity available. Well, take your Bibles this morning, your copy of God's Word, and I encourage you to have a copy that you can look at electronically or in paper form. Uh, Revelation chapter 9, verse 13. We're going to think for a few minutes this morning about what the Bible has to say about the sixth trumpet. trumpet. As we move through the book of Revelation, and uh, I pray that you have been with us in this study on Sunday mornings, and if not, the, the messages are archived online, that that uh, tab that Brother Bill was talking about there, you can click on and uh, right above the guest registration has all the, the uh, archived sermons in there. So you can go back and catch up if you've missed any. But uh, this morning as we move through the book of Revelation, we are, are in the tribulation period. Now the tribulation period, as you will recall, is that seven-year period uh, of judgment upon the earth uh, after the church's rapture. raptured. Uh, We believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. The Bible teaches that. The church will be raptured. Uh, Jesus will appear, call his bride out of this world. Uh, And then the judgment of God will begin to fall. The antichrist will come to power, the false prophet, the beast, as we've been studying that. Now, in that seven-year period, it's broken into two three-and-a-half-year periods, the first three-and-a-half years, the second three-and-a-half years. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that the last half of the tribulation is the great tribulation in other words jesus referred to it as being uh the worst time in humanity the world's ever seen Uh, it'll be the most difficult time it is that last half of the tribulation that we are reading about in the in the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments and so keep that in mind as we move through these judgments that god reveals that are going to take place on this earth that god is as the end of the tribulation comes god will progressively turn up the heat if you will uh, literally and metaphorically, in fact, uh, he will turn up the heat of punishment on those who are rebellious. Now, the great tribulation, uh, as I said last week, should frighten those who are who are lost and who who potentially could be here during that period. If you sort of rapture the church today, all those who are without Jesus Christ will be left here to begin that period of judgment. And should they go into that period, uh, will be a, a terrific time of of punishment on the earth. Now. Last week we saw in the opening of the fifth trumpet, the fifth trumpet, the sixth trumpet, and the seventh trumpet, uh, the angels said, are woe judgments, meaning they're worse than the judgments that have been before them. The fifth trumpet last week, just to refresh your memory, Satan cast out of heaven. Uh, He had a key to the bottomless pit, the abyss. He opened it, and demons came out of the pit. And you will remember from that passage last week that these demons swarmed over the earth. Uh, They didn't have the ability to kill anybody, but they had the ability to torment men for five months had stingers like scorpions and so they swarmed over the earth and they tormented folks for five months and we pointed out that those angels uh, are angels or what we call demons they followed satan when he rebelled against god and all the demons are not loose right now in other words there are demons who are locked up in the abyss they're locked up they're incarcerated by god because of their rebellion but there will come a time in the tribulation when god will release some of them Uh, we saw last week in the fifth trumpet judgment that God released these angels or these demons these fallen angels out of the abyss and they tormented men for five months now in that five month period we pointed out the Bible told us that men and women will want to die the torment will be so bad that they will they want to just die and be rid of it but God won't let them die death will be removed and so for five months they're tormented they can't die and uh, we discussed that in detail how horrendous that time will be well it gets worse Because now God calls for the sixth trumpet to be blown. Look at verse 13 and 14 and what will happen when the sixth trumpet is blown. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels, the demons, who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, we don't know whose voice this is, and there's much speculation if you read commentaries and read behind scholars, each one seems to have their own opinion. We don't know who's speaking. Could be Jesus, could be one of the angels giving the commands, we don't know. But we know where he's standing. The Bible says he's standing near the golden altar with the four horns on it. Now, let me, let me tell you why that's significant and why it should be significant for us. That altar in heaven, that golden altar where the incense was burnt, is a mirror uh, of what God gave Israel in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. In the temple, let's just talk about the temple that came after the tabernacle, there was a general gathering place where people could come into the temple. Then there was a holy place that the priests went in to do their ministry. And then there was the Holy of Holies, and nobody could go in there because the Ark of the Covenant was in there, the Shekinah glory, the Prince of God was in there, and no one was allowed behind that curtain on pain of death except for once a year. The high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year at the Passover to make a sin offering for the entire nation to cover the sins of Israel. He could go in, make the offering, and he had to come out. That golden altar or the bronze altar that was in the holy place was where they burned incense. It was the place where they lifted up their prayers. Only one time a year did that altar have blood on it, and it was during the Passover when the high priest went in to make the sin offering for Israel, he would come out and put blood on the horns on that altar where they burn incense. So that altar in the temple was a place of grace. It was a place where uh, men and women could come and find mercy and find forgiveness of sin. In heaven, we have the same kind of altar because you'll remember that the, the dimensions and the things that God gave Israel to build in the tabernacle and in the temple were mirrored in heaven. And the Bible tells us that. So in heaven we have this altar. Now what have we seen about this altar in heaven, Uh, this altar, this golden altar we've seen so far? Well, number one, we saw it's where the souls of the martyrs of the tribulation are gathered, and they cry out to God in an imprecatory prayer asking God to bring judgment on the murderers, on those on the earth who killed them, who persecuted them, who tortured them, and who murdered them. And so this altar in heaven is where the souls are gathered. And you'll remember God said to them, you just rest and wait till the rest of those who like you who will die, and then we'll take care of the judgment. And so these, all, these souls are there, and cried out was also the altar that we saw where the prayers of the saints are lifted up to God, they've burned incense there, the angel came and burned incense, and the prayers are lifted up to God. The significance is this, that, that golden altar in heaven and represented on earth, a place where there was mercy and grace to be found with God becomes a place of judgment becomes a place where judgment is sent forth. Why? Because mercy and grace were rejected. You see, listen, the Bible says that God will not always strive with men. Meaning we cannot uh, as human beings perpetually reject God. We cannot perpetually be rebellious and not obey God. We can't continue that way because God won't always strive with men. And so this reminds us as as this one, this person, whoever this person is, could be Jesus, could be an angel, standing at that altar, gives the command for the sixth trumpet to sound. It reminds us that the opportunity, the opportunity to be saved is today. I look at society, and I watch the news, and I read the news, and what turmoil, what unrest, what hatred, what anger, what rebelliousness and sinfulness, Listen, we cannot continue that way. God's judgment surely will come. We cannot continue as a society, as a humanity in this country and around the world to tell God we're not going to do what he says. We can't continue that way because God will eventually bring judgment. And that's exactly what's revealed in this text. The angel gives the command and said for the, for the six trumpets to sound. Listen, if you're watching online today or here, You you have to make a choice. We have to make a choice. We either either come to Jesus Christ and accept his grace and and listen and accept life on God's terms or we reject that. There are no other choices. And see today it's very popular for people to say I want to be my own person. I want to do my own thing. Accept me as I am. Accept me for who I am. Listen we are who God created us to be. We are what God created us to be. We don't get to choose what we want to be. God created us for his purpose, for his glory, for his honor. and We have to choose today. We're either going to do life God's way or we're going to do it our way, which will cost us an eternity of judgment. This altar in heaven, a place of prayers lifted up to God from the saints, becomes a a place of judgment where this angel says or this voice says, blow the trumpet. Now, when the sixth trumpet sounds... We find here that uh, more demons. As if I can only imagine now. I, I mean, I, thank God I'm not going to be here when that happens. If Jesus comes today, I'm I'm going to go meet Him in there. I pray that's true for you, and you, and you can know that by being saved by faith in Jesus Christ. But I can only imagine being here. Think about it for a minute, and having suffered five months of torment from demons, who are after you night and day, perpetually stinging and tormenting for five months. You can't die because God took death away and then the next trumpet sounds and more demons. I can only think the people are going, oh great, okay. We just had five months of demons, now we have, but this one's worse. Look at verses 15 to 19. So the four angels who have been prepared, now now notice what the Bible says here. For the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Wow. Verse 16, now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. Verse 17, and thus I saw the horses in division. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, uh, high and blue, and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. Verse 18, by these three plagues, watch this, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths, verse 19, for their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails were like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Notice the sovereignty of God in this judgment. These four particular demons are incarcerated near the Euphrates River. Now, we could spend a lot of time this morning that I don't have to talk about the importance of the Euphrates River. One of those rivers that we find in the Bible all the way back in Genesis that the river that flowed out of the Garden of Eden broke into one branch was the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River was the eastern boundary of the property that God has promised to Abraham for Israel to to one day inhabit during the Kingdom Age. It was the border, if you will, between east and west. It was the extent of the Roman Empire. So this river has great importance. And it is at this river right now, there are four demons of some particular renown, obviously, because they're locked up there, who are incarcerated for a specific purpose. And you notice what it says here? For a particular hour, day, month, and year. In other words, in the sovereignty of our God, he has already determined that these demons are incarcerated for a specific purpose for a specific time. Now make no mistake, when these demons are released at the sixth trumpet, they're gonna think they're doing Satan's bidding. They're gonna think they're doing great harm. But isn't it, isn't it incredible that our God and his sovereignty can take what others mean for bad and work it for his purpose? And that's exactly what he's gonna do with these demons. So they are preserved for a year, a month, a day, to a specific hour. Now we could certainly make application to that in our own lives. Do you believe and know that God is sovereign over your life? He's sovereign over the events of your life. He's sovereign over the affairs of your life. Yes, God gives us latitude to make decisions and choices, but ultimately, no matter what we decide, God's purposes are not going to be changed. God's purposes are going to be fulfilled just as he has declared them, and these demons are part of that, part of that purpose. Now, why are these demons going to be released at this particular point? Well, the Bible says they're going to kill one-third of the people who live on the earth at that time. Now, let that sink in for just a moment. Back in the fourth seal, do you remember how many people were killed? One-fourth of the earth's population. Now, these demons are going to be released, and they're going to lead a a demon army that's going to kill one-third of the rest of the people who live on the planet, who haven't died by, by disease or starvation or by war. One-third of the remaining population is going to be killed by these demons. They're going to be allowed to kill people. Where death was put on hold in the last trumpet, God's going to release these demons to be able to take the lives of human beings. And they're going to do it willingly. They're going to lead an army of demons that will persecute and torment and kill people. Well, think about how the the death toll might be during that time. There are some 7.5 billion people on the planet today. I don't know how long it's going to be before Jesus comes back. If Jesus tarries much longer, we'll hit eight billion, eight and a half billion. Getting kind of crowded, isn't it? Eight and a half billion. I don't know how many people are saved. I don't know how many will be raptured when the the time comes, when Jesus calls us out of the world. But let's just say when the tribulation begins, there's the number of people there are today, seven billion people. And one fourth of them are killed in the first, in the first of the seal judgments, in the fourth seal judgment. That's a lot of people, isn't it? A couple billion plus. So let's just say, by the time the sixth trumpet blows, there's still four or five billion people left on the planet, and another third of them die. That's a lot of people, isn't it? That's a lot of people. Listen, listen, this is serious business. The world today doesn't want to think of God in those terms. They don't want to think of God as a judge, as one who will judge and take human life, but he absolutely will. That's not what he wants to do. But he sends these demons and billions of people die and perish at the hands of these demons who are released. What do we know about these demons? Let's think about them for a minute. Number one, there will be a great host of them, 200 million. You say, well, that's, that's, you know, in comparison to billion. No, 200 million. Think about it. 200 million. I think in the United States, we got like 350 million people live here, I think. So 200 million demons are going to be released to run around the world killing people. Let me just ask you a rhetorical question. You want to be here for that? I don't. I mean, is there anything exciting about seeing that? Not in my mind. I don't. I don't. I mean, I, the only view I want to have of it is from heaven. You know, I want to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and if I look out over the parapet of heaven, I don't know if you can do that or not. You know, you look out and you go, "Who? That looks bad." Glad I'm up here. Right? Listen, you. Look, I, I. I thought about it this week. You will never be more glad that you're saved than when this stuff's going on and you ain't there. I Man, I'm telling you. You will never be more happy to be saved than when you see the face of Jesus and know, man, I don't have to be there for his wrath. And I can see him as my savior. That's the choice people are making today. 200 million demons. That is a vast host, is it not? It makes you you think how many angels were there when God created them. I don't know. Kind of like how many stars are there. I don't know. God just spoke and they're there. Boom. And then God gave them all names and God created the angels and some of them fail and some of them follow Satan 200 million of them will follow these demons to destroy then it then it describes the demons think about them for a minute they're riding upon horses now he's seeing a vision John's seeing a vision here and of course he's describing it the thing in the in the way that he knows things horses uh, have long been especially in that period of time where the were, were one of the essential elements of war fighting. They were fast, they're powerful, you can move quickly, you can move armies. Cavalries were powerful instruments of war in that day. So he sees these demons on on what he describes as horses. Now these demons are wearing the colors of hell, if you will. They have on fiery red and breastplates of blue and, and, and brimstone sulfur yellow. Kind of reminds you of Sodom and Gomorrah, doesn't it? I mean, they come forth from hell with these colors on them, riding these these beasts, if you will, that John describes as horses. And I can only imagine, for those who are alive during that period, the great fear that will cause to see them come forth. And then the, the horses are described here as something unique. We used to own horses. None of them had a lion's head, I can tell you that. But these creatures, these things that these demons will be riding on are like horses and they have the head of a lion and a tail like a snake. You say, there's nothing like that in the world today. Listen, God made a lot of things that aren't in the world today. Matter of fact, I'm of the opinion when we get to heaven, we're going to see a lot of things God made and never talked about in the Bible. They'll be pretty amazing because God didn't make junk. You know what I mean? He makes nice stuff. We get to heaven and see what God's created. Well, God... God created these things, but they fell. And so these creatures that are riding on lions' heads and, and snake tails, and they kill in three ways. It describes it here. One day, incinerate people with fire. You see that? Fire comes forth out of their mouth. You ever watch movies? You got fire breathing dragons. You think, oh, that's great fantasy. Well, this isn't fantasy. These things are going to kill people with fire, and it's going to asphyxiate them with smoke. And the bite. The, the, the deadly bites of their tails will kill people as poisonous. So they will kill one-third of the world's population. Now let me ask you a question. A reasonable person, I think, a rational person, who might see these things happening, might come to the conclusion, I would suppose, that God's really upset about sin. Do you think? I mean, do you think if, if, if a person who's alive in that period, who sees these things happening, who has seen all the seal judgments, the first five trumpet judgments, and now the sixth one with these demons running around and people dying, I can only speak for myself, but it might cause me to get on my knees and cry out to God and ask for mercy. I, I, I don't know. The Bible tells us that the people who were not slain by these demons became more rebellious. Can you imagine? How's that happen? Look at verses 20 and 21. But the rest of mankind, those who were not part of the one-third who were killed by these demons, but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Verse 21, and they did not repent of their murders or sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts and thievery. That's astounding to me. That's amazing. How does that happen? Listen very carefully. How does that happen? How is it that a human being can be faced with irrefutable evidence of God, irrefutable evidence of God's judgment against sin, irrefutable evidence of God's anger against sin and His righteous indignation, and yet choose, in the face of overwhelming evidence, choose to not repent and continue to harden their heart and be even more rebased against God. How does that happen? I'm glad you asked, and I'm going to tell you. Let me tell you how that happens. There can come a point in a human being's life when they have so rebelled against God and so chosen to pursue sin that God turns them over to the sin. And when a person is turned over to their own way and their own sin, they will never come to God. Not because God can't save them, but because they will not read. Listen, here's your homework. You ready? Go home and read Romans chapter one. Romans chapter 1 ends with this, and God turned them over to their sins to destroy them. Here's what will happen. In the tribulation period, that generation will be so entrenched in their sin, and we're going to talk about the ones listed here before we close. They're going to be so entrenched in their sin, so entrenched in their rebellion against God and their rejection of God, that nothing God does for them or to them will change their minds. They'll be so given over their sin they will not come no matter what. That's amazing, isn't it? Listen to me, there are people alive in the world today just like that. Today, just like that. There was a man that I used to know, and I don't know if he's still alive or not, because I haven't seen him in a long time, but he was lost. <clears throat> his wife was safe. She used to attend the church I went to. And she would say all the time, Would you pray for my husband because he's lost? Would you come visit him? So me and my visiting partner, it was a guy I went visiting with all the time. We made a routine to go to this guy's house about once a month. He never told us we couldn't come. So as long as he didn't tell us we couldn't come back, we kept going. Probably about once a month, four or five, six weeks, we'd go by his house. He'd be outside working on a tractor. He'd be working on a car. He'd be sitting on the front porch. You know what we talked to him about every time we went? Man, Jesus loves you. Jesus will save your soul. Would you, would you accept Jesus? You know what his answer was every time we went? No. I don't need it. I said, oh, you need it. He said, no, nah, I don't. Listen, you know, you know what I think happened to that man? Because he would let us... He. He would welcome us. I think it turned into a game for him. How many times he could tell us no? I don't know if the man ever got saved. I hope he did. I pray he did. I pray he does if he's still alive. But you know what could be very real in his life? He could reach a point where he said no to God so many times, God ain't asking him anymore. The Holy Spirit ain't dealing with him anymore. What a sad place to come to. The people in the tribulation will reach that point that no matter what God does, they won't come. I pray that's not true for you today. I think there are a lot of people living in the United States of America whom God has turned over to their sin simply because they've rejected God so long. Now, the opportunity for them to be saved is still there. God wants to save everybody. But a person can say no to God so long that God turns them over and lets them have their own way, lets them have their own sin, and it'll lead to destruction. Think about what it says right here for just a minute. They didn't repent because their heart was hardened. Why was it hardened? It was hardened because of the sin that they loved more than God. Notice the list here very quickly. False religion, idolatry, worshiping idols, worshiping images of gold and wood and silver. Listen, that was true in the Old Testament. It will be true again in the tribulation. They will worship Satan. They will worship anything but God. And they won't give it up. They won't give it up murders in the tribulation people will kill one another for food and water remember god's destroyed a bunch of that stuff it isn't available they'll be stealing and robbing and killing one another sorceries that comes from a greek word where we get our word pharmacy or pharmacia it means drugs It means mood altering and mind controlling drugs. And many times in false worship, drugs were used to induce visions and dreams. And people play with that stuff today the same way. And the Bible says they wouldn't give up that stuff to worship God. Immorality. Immorality. The word there is pornea, from which we get pornography. And it means all forms of sexual immorality, and uncleanness. And it includes fornication and adultery and rape and, and pedophilia and all the other philias and all the other kinds of perversions of sexuality and homosexuality and adultery. It includes all of those things. The people were so given to those physical appetites that they would not come to God. Thefts, stealing, and thievery, and dishonesty. Let me ask you a question. You all look like reasonable people, intelligent. What do you see in our society today? Can we make a comparison real quick here? I mean, let's just go down that list in 21st century America real quick. Religious false teaching. Think some of that's going on today? Yeah. You think there's some false religion going on today? You know the greatest God in America is not Jehovah God today. The God that's most popular. The God in America today is man. Secular humanism. and Progressivism. The God in America today is what I want when I want it. The God in America today is is people. It's about me. And about God, it's about what I want. It's about what I want to be. It's about what I want to do. We worship Man, we worship science. We worship materialism and money and power and a name and prestige. I mean, what nation in the world has a show called American Idol? I mean, think about it. We worship everything but God. We're guilty. What I'm saying is we're on the same path. We're on the same road that's going to lead to these very things in the tribulation. They're going on right now atheism and agnosticism why do people do that because they they look for any reason to reject god you know why an atheist rejects creation and believes in evolution because if they believe in creationism it leads to god and when man decides he's going to reject god the bible says a fool has said in his heart there is no god the fool I asked a question a moment ago, how can a, a group of people in the tribulation see undeniable proof that there's a God in judgment and deny Him for the same reasons we deny God today? Creation is proof that God exists, his work in the world, his word, and yet we reject him. How about murder? Are we on that path today? Every, every, well, I won't say every, Many of our major cities around the country have a murder epidemic in them. You take your life in your own hand if you go into a large city at nighttime, especially if you walk on the road. Murder. Murder is epidemic in our society today. Just read in the news here in Florida somewhere three guys are fishing and they had an argument over a truck, and some guy goes out there and kills all three of them. Over a truck. Over a truck motor or something. I mean, murder's an epidemic. You know why murder becomes an epidemic? Because if people have no respect for the authority of God, they have no respect for human beings that are created in His image. That's why. If no one respects God as the creator, no one will respect the fact that God created us and their sanctity in human life. Why can we? Why is abortion so accepted we kill a million babies a year? Because we reject God. That's where it all begins. So murder is an epidemic in our society. Hey, drug use in our society. I had somebody tell me not long ago, you know, some drugs are so popular, why don't we just legalize them and tax them? Also, it's all about the money, isn't it? Well, you know what you can do when you do that? You take that tax money and put it in a pot somewhere because now you got to pay for all the medical issues of everybody who's on the drugs. you got to pay for all the broken families, all the... All the Damage to society is going to happen because people are out of control, out of their minds, and they're unproductive, so you might as well put money aside to feed them because they can't work if they're on drugs all the time. So, yeah, that's a really good idea. That just makes perfect sense. Go right ahead and do that. But in our society today, listen, we have an epidemic of drug use, recreational drug use, mind-altering drug You say, well, man, people just want to feel good. Yeah, you know why? They're trying to escape all the negative consequences of their sin. Let me tell you something that'll trump, that'll, that'll, that'll do better than any drug you can buy and take, and his name is Jesus. Man, you get Jesus, you don't need any drugs. You get Jesus, you can get high on him. I don't know if that's not right or not, but I guess it sounds good. I mean, you can be encouraged in Jesus, can't you? I mean, if a person takes drugs or drinks alcohol or, or take some, some mood-altering drug or some mind control drug to make themselves feel good. Now, you won't ever feel any better in life than you do when you know Jesus. You don't need that stuff. You know why people take drugs and drink alcohol and use all that stuff? They want to numb their senses and the sin and the pain in the world, and they want to feel different, and they want to feel better. Well, Feeling better really begins with being better on the inside, and that comes from getting saved. All the stuff that can alter moods and all on the outside does nothing but bring damage and hurt. And then we got to deal with the violence and the crime that comes with drugs. People selling it and and then the criminal activity that happens because of it. What I'm saying is we're on the same path. We're on the path to exactly what the Bible says is going to happen in tribulation. And, And listen, the immorality part. What, I need to say a lot about that. I mean, what have we done in this country? And I know, I know. You know well, let me put it this way: under this, under this cloak of, under this cloak of inclusion and acceptance. Well, I'll get emails now for sure. But here we go. Under this cloak of, of making sure everybody feels included and accepted for who they are. We've justified every sin in the book. That's just the truth. Take it or leave it. Here's the truth. Listen. We are we are included no matter who we are because God loves us. We don't need to to define ourselves in some way outside of biblical standards. And then ask people to accept us for some deviant thing that we do. And it's deviant because God said it's deviant. It's sin because God said it's sin. Not, Not because we're mad at anybody, not because we're angry at anybody, but listen to me. Adultery is sin. A man or woman who has a relationship with somebody who's not their spouse has sinned against God. Does everybody understand that? A man and woman who are not married and they have physical relations together have sinned against God. Does everybody understand that? I'm, I didn't write the book. God said, don't do that. He's God. He has right to say, don't do that. And by the way, we could spend the rest of the day talking about why it's good for us to do life the way God said to do it and why it's bad for us when we don't do it the way God said to do it. Homosexuality. Boy, is that a hot button topic. God said in His Word, "Don't do that." I'm not argue, listen to me. I'm not arguing that there that that for some people the attraction isn't there. I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that in some people's lives that is a weakness in their life. That is an area of sin that they're susceptible to. I don't argue that for a minute because that's true. Because here's the fact: every one of us have a weakness in our life. Every one of us have an area of sin where Satan can eat our lunch if we're not careful, okay? And for some people, it's homosexuality. But listen to me. Just because that's a weak area of sin does not give a person a right to live in that lifestyle and rebelling against God no more than it gives me the right if my weakness is women, no more than it gives me a right to break God's command and sleep with women other than my wife. It's the same sin. It's the exact same thing. Now, here's what happens. Just as this society in the tribulation will give themselves over so much to these sins that no matter what God does, they're not going to come back, that's where we're headed today. Do you, see the, do you see the parallel? The roads are walking right next to one another. I mean, they're together. Why? Because we're headed that way as a society. Let me close with this. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Listen jesus came and died on a cross and defeated sin he conquered it he defeated sin he defeated death and the grave he rose again the third day and here's what jesus offers to all of us he said if we'll come to him and ask him to forgive us for our sin no matter what that sin is it doesn't matter what it is It could be sins of immorality sins of murder it could be sins of whatever He will forgive it. Not only will he forgive it, but he will give us his victory over it. And so as we trust him, then we can live a life, listen, we can live a life that honors him and is in accord with his word. But here's what it requires. Are you listening? We have to be willing. We have to ask him. Have you asked him? You say, Pastor, you don't know the struggles in my life. Maybe you're watching online. You say, you just don't know how deep I am in sin. No, I don't know. Jesus knows. I don't need to know. All I know is he said right here in this book that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised his son from the dead and that he's the Savior, you can be saved. That's what he says right here. The Bible says, whosoever will call upon his name can be saved. And the Bible says, God's word says that he can deliver you from any sin in your life if you want him to. He can deliver you. Do you want him to? Listen, don't play around with God. You can mess around with a lot of people in life and get away with it. Don't play around with God. Okay? If you've never been saved, if you need to be saved this morning, right now is the time. Right now. Would you do that? Let's pray. Father, we're reminded in this passage today of what's going to happen in the tribulation. God, you said it's going to happen and it is going to happen. God, I am so thankful that you saved me when you did. I'm so thankful that you called on my heart, Lord, and that you gave me the very faith by which I believe. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to leave heaven and come and die on a cross to pay for my sin. And not mine only, but the sin of the whole world. God, there may be somebody in this auditorium this morning And God, it's a a struggle in their life with something. We all have a struggle with something. God, if they've never been saved, that's where they have to begin. They have to begin with faith in Jesus Christ. God, help them this morning. Maybe somebody watching online. Father, right now, may they just pause and cry out to you and say, Oh, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And God, I know my life is not what you want it to be. Forgive me and save me. God, set set me free from the sin that... That binds me so strongly father help us as christians lord to be committed and surrendered to the power of the holy spirit that we might live in a way that honors you we pray it in jesus name amen let's stand together as we play a verse of song if i can pray with you or help you i'll be down front you come on the first verse.